Happy birthday, Connect! Hey, listen, when I say happy birthday today, I want you to know that I'm not saying it's my birthday, and I'm not saying it's our birthday. You guys, this is our third birthday. If you are here today, you are a part of the Connect family, even if this is the very first time you've ever shown up. That means today is your third birthday, and I am super glad to say to you, happy, happy third birthday, Connect Church. It's amazing to be this far, and we're looking forward to many, many more years in the future. Somebody said to me this morning, you guys have a lot of parties. Like, it seems like every couple of few weeks, there's some sort of big celebration or party or something like that, and that's That's because one of our core values at Connect Church is celebration. We have four values at our church, things that we think are super important, and top among them is celebrating what God does week in and week out. We say it like this, church should look more like a party than it does a funeral. Anybody with me? Okay, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a party every single week, and some parties are even bigger than usual. Today is one of those. So thank you so much for joining us. We are very, very glad that you are a part of the Connect Church family. Let me kick off the message this morning by asking you a question. Do you ever look back at your younger self and say, what was I thinking? Anybody? Okay, you ever see an old photo of yourself? And you're like, why did I ever think that was a cool way to dress? What possessed me to wear that? I used to think it was so cool. I, I remember the day I took that picture. I felt so good about myself. I, look at, and now I'm like, oh, geez. Maybe Facebook, you know, you're scrolling through your feed. And it says, hey, Dan, we thought you'd like to relive this memory from eight years ago. And you're like, no, no. Why did I post that? Why did I think that was funny? It got three likes. That should have told me something. I should have deleted it immediately. I was so dumb. Maybe, uh, maybe you're out with a buddy, and your buddy turns to you, and he says, hey, you remember when you used to date Karen? And you're like, oh, how did I fall for that? I mean, geez, what was I thinking in that relationship? Hmm? No? Is that one too close to home for some of you guys? Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe... In times past, you've had a hobby, an interest, a passion, something that you really love doing, and you sank tons of time and money and energy into it. And looking back, you're like, why? That was such a waste. It was meaningless. I can't believe it used to be so important to me. I've got a confession to make. Not that long ago, your boy was in the top 50 players in the world in Battlefield 3 Hardcore Rush on Xbox. It's true. I used to be so proud of that fact, you guys. I used to try to work it into conversations and stuff like that, and everybody's like, so? And now I look back and I'm like, why did I spend so many hours shooting fake people on a video game? It makes no sense. It added nothing to my life, and now I'm embarrassed by it, not proud of it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but if that impresses you, I'll sign autographs after the service, okay? Hey, often when we look back at our earlier life, we realize that a lot of the things that we thought were so very important really weren't. I mean, ideally, we would all come to understand, like as our life progresses and time goes on, that whatever good we might have accomplished in the past 
or whatever bad we might have experienced in days gone by, those things do not have to define us. Ideally, we would understand that whatever good we've accomplished or whatever bad we've experienced should not and does not have to define us. But listen, for some of us in the room today, that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. We struggle to believe that those things do not constitute or or form the foundation of our identity. See, for some of you, you have spent your life or you are currently spending your life pursuing things that are so big and they're so exciting and so attractive to you that you couldn't imagine a meaningful life without those things. Maybe it's career, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a family, maybe it's a bank account number, maybe it's what you drive, but you are so focused on accomplishing and achieving those things that it's hard for you to even imagine a meaningful life if they weren't a part of it. And on the flip side of that, some of you have experienced so much trauma, bad, horrible experiences in the past that you can't imagine a meaningful life today because of those things that have happened to you. If you've ever felt that tension, either living to try to prove yourself, justify and validate yourself by the things you accomplish, or if you've ever been held captive by something that happened to you or something that was done to you in the past, today is going to be a good day for you. I am so very glad you're here because I'm going to point you towards a passage in the Bible. It's a personal letter that was written by a man who had a heck of a past. I mean, like his past was nuts. He accomplished everything he wanted to. And a few years down the road, he looked back and he was like, none of it mattered. None of it was worth devoting my life to. And I think we can learn from his honesty, his transparency, his vulnerability in this passage that we're going to read. We can learn that our identity does not have to be found in our accomplishments or our circumstances. Who you are as a person is not defined by your accomplishments or your circumstances. And I think his short little letter is gonna help you to understand that. So we're gonna be in Philippians chapter number three this morning. We've got the verses here on the screen. You can follow along with us if you like. We'll start reading here in verse number one, Philippians chapter number three, and I'll explain to you who's writing and why they're writing in just a moment, but let me read this first couple of verses. The scripture says, whatever happens, whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and the reason that I do it is to safeguard your faith. He goes on to say in verse three, for we who worship by the spirit of God rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though in verse four he says, if anyone could, I could have confidence in my own effort. Indeed, if other people have reason for confidence in their own efforts or what they have accomplished in life, this this writer, Paul, he says, I have even more reason to brag about what I have achieved in this world. All right, let me give you a little bit of context here before we move on. This passage is written by a guy named Paul. 
Paul was the greatest Christian missionary who ever lived. He was super saint. He is like the poster child for the church guy, you know? We know from history that he planted more churches in a shorter period of time than anybody else in 2,000 years. It's pretty impressive. If that's not good enough for your resume, we also know that Homeboy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Like his writings were that good that people were like, oh yeah, God was speaking through Paul when he wrote this letter. Those have to be included in the Bible. So Paul was a very, very important figure in the New Testament in the early church. And when he writes this letter, It's just a few years after Jesus has been crucified. The church is in its baby stage, kind of like we're at right now at three years. It's finding its footing. It's living out the mission. It's gaining momentum. And in this next section of scripture here, Paul is going to tell us that although today, when he writes Philippians chapter number three, he's like super Christian, you know, kind of that obnoxious guy that does everything right. But he's gonna show us that his life was not always that way. Look at what Paul has to say regarding his former life in the next verses. Paul writes this about himself. Remember, he said, I have every reason to boast about what I've done, who I am in the world. He says, here are a few examples. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. All right, weird flex, but okay. (laughs) I'm a pure blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, which was a well-known religious class of the day, who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so jealous, he says, for his faith, for his reputation, for his standing in his culture. He said, I was so zealous that early on I harshly persecuted the church the same church that he is now leading in Philippians chapter number three. And then he says, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul kind of thought a lot of himself, didn't he? (laughs) Like some of you ladies, I get the feeling that you've seen Tinder bios that read like this, you know? Where the guy is just like, let me tell you how great I am. Let me tell you about my education. Let me tell you about my family history. He's even got a line in there about his junk. Like Paul would have fit in in 2019. (laughs) Too far for some of you? I'm sorry, that's the kind of church we are. Um, But seriously, Paul would have fit in in 2019. Like he he is showing you the things in his culture that were important and valuable. The things that he spent his life pursuing. He was willing to be validated by what it is that he had accomplished. We know from the rest of Paul's story that he devoted his time, his money, his influence, his other resources to gaining this standing and to achieving all of these things. Paul is saying that for a very good part of his life, he thought the truest thing about him was what he did. That for a big chunk of his life, he thought the most important thing about himself was what he produced, what he accomplished, what he achieved and what other people thought of him. But then in verse number seven, the next verse here in the passage, he tells us that he had a dramatic change of perspective. So all these things he used to think were important and valuable. Now in verse seven, he says, I once thought these things were valuable. I used to. 
That used to be me. It used, used to be what I thought defined me. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ Jesus has done. Paul came to realize that his identity was not wrapped up in what he produced. He was not defined by the things that he accomplished or the things that he wasn't able to accomplish. Paul came to realize that all the things he thought were important in his old way of life, all the things and time that he invested in them, in the end he looked back and he says, it all turned out to be empty. It turned out to be a waste, pointless. I don't understand why I used to think that was so important because now, in comparison to what Jesus has done for me, it all seems like garbage. It all seems like something that I shouldn't have spent all that time pursuing. And I'll tell you, this turnaround that Paul has is not because he went to bed one night, he woke up, and he just had a moment of clarity. It's not like he had an epiphany. It's not like he read a great self-help book and he was like, oh, okay, now I get it. No, the turnaround in Paul's life happened because he had a real encounter with Jesus. Now, look, um, we, he doesn't tell us about this encounter here in this passage, and we don't have a lot of time. Um, so I'm just going to quickly read you a little section of this encounter that Paul had with Jesus, because I want you to understand what was taking place that caused such a dramatic change in perspective for this guy. So in Acts chapter number nine, I'm going to read a few verses for you here. They're not on the screen. Just listen with me, okay? Acts chapter nine, verse one. The Bible says, meanwhile, and this is like right after Jesus was crucified, okay? So it's really, really early on. It's several years before what we were reading in Philippians chapter three. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the followers of Jesus. Now, if you're listening closely, you might've said, hey, Dan, did you stutter? I thought you said this dude's name was Paul, but then I thought you just said, Saul, what's going on there? Okay, he was born with the name Saul. This change, this turnaround that he has with Jesus is so freaking dramatic that he says, I can't even go by the same name anymore. I don't want people to associate me with my old way of life and the old pursuits that I had. He said, I'm just gonna change my name. So he became Paul instead of Saul. This time he's still Saul. He was uttering threats with every breath and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters asking, uh, addressed rather to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the, address, uh, the arrest of any followers of the way of Jesus that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So Paul was so zealous, he was so jealous, he was so focused on his reputation amongst his community that he was willing to persecute the church. He was willing to arrest Christians. Back in this day, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. And so he used that so that he could arrest and imprison. And the Bible says, even in these early days, Paul was responsible for the execution of some of our brothers and sisters. So one day he's like, we're going hard. We're going hard after these guys. Give me every arrest letter you can. Let's find out every Christian in Damascus. We're gonna throw those suckers in jail and we are gonna stamp out this movement of Jesus. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. 
Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to the city of Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied, like apparently God talked to Ananias all the time. So the Lord said, I want you to go over to Straight Street to the house of Jude. And when you get there, I want you to ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But watch this now. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the, leading, uh, by the leaders at his time to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must endure for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, but immediately he began preaching in the synagogues about Jesus, saying he is indeed the son of God. So Paul has this incredible, amazing encounter with Jesus in which everything about him was changed. His name, his values, his purpose, his loves, his people, everything about him was transformed through this encounter with Jesus. Now listen, look at how Paul goes on to describe his life after his encounter with Jesus. So he's introduced himself. He's like, dude, I did everything I thought was important in life. Then I had an encounter with Jesus and now I'm totally different. Let me tell you what I think about my past life before Christ. In these next verses back in Philippians chapter number three, he says this, yes, everything else, everything else, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Everybody say garbage. Garbage. We're coming back to that word in a minute. So that I could gain Christ and so that I could become one with him. Now in in this verse here, Paul uses such an interesting phrase. Like this is gonna be a lot of fun. You guys are gonna appreciate this, I think. Okay, he says, Everything that I used to think was important, now, after I've had this encounter with Jesus, I treat it like it's garbage, it's worthless, it's empty, it's pointless. I wouldn't spend my time and money and life pursuing it anymore. But here's the truth. When the New Living Translation, which is what I'm reading from today, when the translators translate this word, it was originally written in Greek, Paul didn't speak English, okay? It was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word that he used here is not garbage. It's not. The translators are trying not to offend your Christian sensibilities. They're being nice and polite. In reality, in this passage, Paul uses a Greek word that occurs nowhere else in the Bible. This is the only time it ever shows up. The only time. And the Greek word is skubalon. We're going to come back to that thought in a minute too. The word, when it's accurately translated, 
The NIV translated it as dung. Like, everything I used to think was important now, it's like dung to me. But let me tell you, even the NIV translators are being too polite. Because in reality, scholars tell us that skubalon, this word that Paul uses, is in fact a euphemism. It's a euphemism for human feces, okay? Look, what Paul is actually saying here, and I'll put it on the screen. Paul said, I had this stunning revelation. I had this breakthrough that life without Jesus is kind of crappy. Actually, I'm being too polite because that is not what Paul says, but there's a couple kids in the room, so I'll leave this other four-letter word to your imagination. Believe it or not, that is, Paul uses a, a vulgar slang crass word here. Every like proper person that was reading his letter would be like, what? I can't believe he said that. But Paul does it on purpose because he wants us to understand that like the things that he used to order his whole life around now, they're as valuable as crap to him. It's really what it comes down to. The things that he used to pursue He says they were a waste. It's like something that even if I had it, I'd look at it and say, no, I don't want that anymore. Now listen, Paul is not saying here, I'm not claiming, okay, that a life without Jesus is always miserable. He's not saying that, you know, a life without Jesus can never have any meaning or it can never be fun or enjoyable or whatever. But what he's saying is it is not worth basing your identity on. It is not worth ordering your entire life around. At a fundamental level, a life that is lived for achievement or a life that is lived shackled by circumstances ends up being a waste. So he says, life without Jesus is kind of crappy, but with Jesus, my life has new meaning, new value, new purpose. Now listen, some of you, You don't have the same drive as Paul does, you know? Like you're not living your life trying to achieve and accomplish. You're not worried about that. You're not defined. You don't allow yourself to be defined by what you have done. But there are some of you that have allowed yourself to be defined by what has been done to you. So whereas Paul was chasing triumph, you're chained by trauma. Whereas Paul is trying to conquer and be victorious, You've had to live life as a victim because of the things that you've had to experience in your past. Wounds, regrets, abuse, failures of people who are supposed to love you and be there for you. Paul is saying it doesn't matter whether you're pursuing achievement. It doesn't matter whether you're worried about what's been done, your circumstances, the the good or the bad that's happened to you. All of it in the end is nothing It's garbage, it's dung, it's a waste in comparison to what Jesus has done for every single one of us. Maybe we could put it like this. The truest thing about you, the truest thing about you is not what you've been, or what's been done by you. Can we put that up there, please? The truest thing about you is not what's been done by you. And the truest thing about you is not what's been done to you. The truest thing about you is what Jesus has done for you. You are not defined 
by your past, and you are not defined by what you do or do not accomplish in the future. Listen, the most important things about you are not your pedigree. The most important thing about you is not your level of education. The most important thing about you is not the number of zeros in your bank account. Your identity is not based on your good deeds or your past trauma. You are not defined by your job title. You are not defined by your body shape. You are not defined by your divorce. You are not defined by the number of Instagram followers that you have or don't have. You're not defined by your sexuality. You're not defined by your motherhood. You're not defined by the model of car you drive. You are not defined by what you do for a living or the neighborhood that you live in. The most important thing about you is that you are loved completely and fully by God through Jesus. This is the identity that Paul says he he pivoted on. It used to be about what he could produce, and now it's about what has been done for him in Jesus. You see, Paul wants you to know, I want you to know, I want myself to learn this fully, that your life is not measured by your achievements or circumstances. Your life is measured by Christ. As long as you pursue achievement, like you validate yourself, you get your meaning, your self-worth and esteem from what you produce in the world, you will forever be chasing something that you cannot obtain. Do you understand that? Even if you accomplish every dream in your heart, once you get there, it won't be enough. Why do you think Bill Gates has not retired yet? He's got more than enough money. He's already proven himself. Why is Tom Brady still playing in the NFL? For goodness sake, he's 58 years old. Why is he still going on? Because even if you become the GOAT, it won't be good enough. Even if you accomplish everything you want in life, you'll get there and you'll say, there's still an emptiness here. And I don't understand. I thought I was going to be happy. I thought I was going to be satisfied. And I'm not. What's going on? And if you allow yourself to be defined by your past trauma, by the things that have been done to you, then you'll be shackled and you'll never be able to move forward. You'll never be able to accomplish the things that God has put you on earth for because you are chained to your circumstances. You are held captive by people who treated you in ways that they never, ever should have. But Jesus offers us a third way. He says, instead of allowing yourself to be defined by your triumphs or your trauma, you can allow yourself to be defined by Him, by His love, by His plans and purpose for you. Listen, the truest thing about each one of us is that we are so loved by God that He would come to earth in Jesus and He would spend years teaching us and demonstrating what his character and nature is like. He would allow us to crucify him so that we would look at ourselves and say, I am way worse than I thought I was. And then after he allowed himself to go through the worst we could endure, the Bible tells us he resurrects, he raised from the dead so that he can prove that he is powerful enough to overcome anything in our lives, either our achievements or our past wounds. This changed Paul. And it changed me and it changed Dave and it changed hundreds of other people in the room. It's been changing people for billions of people for thousands of years. 
and it can be you as well. We'll wrap up here with what Paul says. He finishes out this passage. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous by achieving and accomplishing. No. He says, I become righteous through faith, trust, belief in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself, it doesn't depend on what you accomplish and it isn't stopped by what you've been through. Paul says, God's way of making us righteous, returning us into a relationship with himself, it depends on our faith in Christ. So he says, look, I used to be proud of my education. I used to be proud of my accomplishments. I used to be proud of my reputation. But today, he said, I can stand before you proudly and I can tell you without hesitation, the one thing I want in life is to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He says, I'd be willing to suffer with him. I would even share in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Some of you, even if you're a CEO, you need resurrection in your life. Okay, okay, let's go. This is dramatic, let's go. Some of you need resurrection because the things that have been done to you have held you in chains for years. And Jesus is the one who can set you free. He can set you free from a need to prove yourself. He can set you free from feeling like you're a victim and you can never rise above your past wounds and circumstances. You are not defined by your trauma and you are not defined by your triumphs. You, my friends, you are defined by the love of Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what you have experienced or what you accomplish in the days to come, the most important thing about you will always be that you're loved by your creator. If you say, hey, Dan, yes, I need that. I need freedom from my past or I need freedom from the need and the drive to continue to, to achieve and produce and prove myself. You can have it in Jesus today. All you have to do is ask him to help you to die to that old way of life and live in this new life that is built on a foundation of his love and his grace in your life. So I'll ask everyone in the theater to bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't have to pray along with me, but if you say, Dan, I need this in my life. I need this fresh start. I need this relationship with God. I'm just gonna invite you to say these words after me. You can say, loud. You can say them in your heart. doesn't matter. God hears you anyway. You could say something as simple as, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need a fresh start. I'm trusting you today to give me both. My friends, if you said those words sincerely, Jesus heard you and Jesus answered you. And kind of in the same way that Paul had this dramatic conversion where the lights came back on, so did we. I mean, Jesus, literally, I mean this, I'm not kidding. Jesus has met you in your movie theater seat. And Jesus is gonna meet you in the car on the way home. And Jesus is gonna meet you in your bedroom. And Jesus is gonna meet you at your workplace. And he's gonna meet you next Sunday when you show back up. Because the most important thing about you is his love, his work, his grace in your life. Thank you.